from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, and I'm here at the Westwood One Studios in Washington, D.C., day number two. I'm uh, having a great time at the uh, Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, and um, it's it's a grand old time. I want to give you the phone number if you want to join the conversation, 833, the number four, Valdez, that's my last name, 833, the number four, V-A-L-D-E-S, and a few things I want to go over today. The uh, Democrats are having a tough time because there seems to be some changes to a crime bill right here in the District of Columbia, and we're going to get to that in a second. But uh, a couple of other headlines I want to go over with you before we get into what we're going to talk about tonight because we have, uh, let's see, we have a discussion on China, uh, the pandemic cover-up that's continuing to go on. And critical race theory, we're going to have that conversation with a member of Congress, Representative Dan Bishop, is scheduled to be with us shortly. Um, then we've got Jarl Jensen. He's the author of The Big Solution, Deactivating the Ticking Time Bomb of Today's Economy. And we're going to talk about how millennials are actually, you know, in their 30s, that are racking up debt more than any other generation. So we're going to have that discussion. Plus, Lauren Conlon, my uh, former colleague on talk radio in New York City, she talks about entertainment news and celebrity gossip, and we're going to discuss a few things in that world, as well as uh, some celebrity uh, deaths, lamentably. But first, I want to talk about this, uh, this crime bill, uh, because this is an interesting one, right? And crime is always at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, because it's wreaking havoc all across the country. But right now, Democrats are kind of uh, infuriated by Biden's announcement uh, earlier today that he's going to sign a resolution to nix the D.C. crime bill. Now, the crime bill had come under heavy criticism from Republicans and Democrats who lean toward the center. But last month, 173 House Democrats voted along with what they thought was the White House's stance that Biden would veto the resolution in an attempt to stand up for the district's home rule. Instead, Biden made the revelation to Senate Democrats during lunch on Capitol Hill today. And he says in the process uh, that, he, you know, he's obviously angering their colleagues across, uh, across the city. Listen to this. Quote, the White House effed this up royally, one House Democrat told The Hill uh, via a text message, noting that the White House issued a statement of administration policy opposing the resolution and backing the district, and that House Democrats in leadership told lawmakers that Biden was prepared to veto the measure. The declaration from the Office of Management and Budget also uh, called on Congress to respect the District of Columbia's autonomy to govern its own local affairs. So here's another quote. So a lot of us who are allies voted no in order to support what the White House wanted. And now we're being hung out to dry. The lawmaker continued saying, effing amateur hour. 
Heads should roll over at the White House for this. <laughs> I can't help it when, when they get at each other. It's always fun. Now, House Democrats added that uh, other lawmakers, multiple lawmakers, were extremely pissed about the situation. Representative Pete Aguilar from California, the number three House Democrat, issued a rare rebuke of the White House during a Punchbowl news event at the caucus's retreat in Baltimore, saying that Biden's move was disappointing. So, I mean, Biden's pretty much uh, getting everybody angry at him. And uh, he went on to say, it's disappointing for me and anybody who believes in home rule. Honestly, I'm a former mayor of a city of 70,000, and I wouldn't want the federal government coming in and telling me what city ordinances to pass. So I think it's disappointing in that context. Uh, he says, I voted against it, but I understand and respect the president's position here. Aguilar is the former mayor of Redlands, California. And he said, we'll see the Senate. Uh, you know, obviously the Senate has to pass it. And I know that they've said they have the votes, but all of those things have to happen first. So it's disappointing for those of us who believe in home rule, but what are you going to do? And the article goes on. I'll tweet this out so you can see it. It's a piece in the Hill. But I just find it interesting that, you know, uh, we see Lori Lightfoot lose likely because of crime. And uh, instead of letting the folks in D.C. figure out what they have to do to handle their crime problem, you know, the, the administration wants to get involved. So in a tweet, Biden specifically mentioned the issue of carjackings. And as of Thursday, there's been, Thursday being today, there's been 94 carjacking, uh, excuse me, carjackings in Washington, D.C. just this year alone. So just hold on to that, right? Chew on that a little bit. And uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, she, uh, of course, weighs in. And I think we have a clip of audio on this. So uh, let's let that play. Go right ahead. The president still thinks that uh, D.C. should become uh, the 51st state. That is something that he has supported for decades, not just these last couple of years. But there is, he feels as president, he has the obligation as well to keep America's cities safe, to keep communities safe. And this is one step in, in a way to do that. So, yeah, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, she believes that they have to keep the, the, the <laughs> they have to keep the city safe. Yeah, th it's fascinating to me. Because, you know, Biden is just putting himself in worse and worse problems. Now, I do believe he's like Houdini. He's like an escape artist. You can put this guy in all sorts of different contortions and he'll manage to squint and grin and put that big cheesy smile, put on the aviator shades and figure out a way to get out of it. Uh, but I think eventually the goodwill runs out. So we're going to see what happens with this proposal. And do the Democrats, you know, is it a permanent mutiny? Are they just slightly disappointed but have to move on? I don't know the answer to that one. I would suspect that if he has a few more of these dust-ups with his own people in his party, eventually they're all going to say, you know what, we want somebody else. And I think half of them already want somebody else, or at least according to the polls, 80% want uh, somebody else. But we're going to see what happens with that. Uh, and we're also, like I said, uh, we're going to have this conversation about uh, critical race theory. It's not that far gone, right? People thought it went away. No, it's, it's just they're, they're changing the names and figuring out different ways of introducing it. Also, uh, some developments on COVID and the threat of China remains. So anyway, all of that and more straight ahead. Your calls as well. 833, the number four, Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 1-833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join the conversation. And uh, we're going to talk a little about a few things right now. One of the things I want to talk about is, of course, uh, China, the threat of China, as well as COVID, critical race theory. There's a lot on the agenda. And uh, our guest, Representative Dan Bishop from North Carolina. Congressman, welcome to the program. Rich, glad to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, sir. No, thank you. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at CPAC this week and we're talking about so many things. I'm hearing all of these wonderful speakers and great panelists discuss all of these things. And while, you know, they're brilliant speeches and they're inspiring in many ways, at the same time, it's like, holy crap, we're in really <laughs> deep stuff. <laughs> What's going on, Congressman? Well, that's true, Rich. We are. Uh, there are a lot of things that are wrong. We spent another couple of years under Joe Biden. It'll be worse. Uh, but you can take your pick. I, uh, uh, as you say, we, uh, we abysmally handled foreign policy, mismanaged military, uh, leaves us vulnerable to China's aggression. Uh, there's a fascination with Russia and Ukraine. People feel like they need to beat their chest and prove, prove us to to China in order to keep them contained, but uh, it's just sort of an incompetency parade there. Uh, we see uh, the southern border has, uh, we spent a week or most of last week down there. It's, that is a catastrophe that is developing in a way. I'm not even sure Americans are aware, Rich, if I can spend just a second. Let, let's take, spend some time on that. Cause you know what we had, we had, um, um, Representative Jordan on that day, the day that you guys came back from that trip, and it was brief yeah. and it was the immediate, you know, re reaction. But uh, I don't think we we can ever discuss this enough because you're right. There there are so many things that you know, unless we're having these conversations here on radio or elsewhere, you're not hearing them and and the severity of them when you turn on the news. So please delve well, in. And I think, Rich, that people know. That it has been, I mean, they're aware of the numbers that we now have uh, four and a half, five million people have come into the country illegally and, and has that and, and been released into the country. And I think they have a sense of growing unease. But let me just lay this one out for you to mm -hmm. think about. And it, well, one of the things that, that struck me, it sort of some things lined up. We met with, Homeland Security Investigations. A lot of people don't know what that is. HSI, it's an agency. It's kind of like the FBI. Hmm. Its mission set is oriented to border uh, things, but it's, it's a big investigative agency. And they said that they're seeing a marked trend in, uh, of violence against people who've migrated and who owe money to a cartel and are being brutalized for it in some way. Oh, like a collections and effort. Yeah. Think back to the history of organized crime in this yeah. country, Rich. And think Extortion. about the fact that you have, just as one example, 1.2 million gotaways. Those are people that the Border Patrol did never, never did encounter. Don't know anything about a background. Uh, they, they haven't been in contact with officials at all. But they tell us, and they've told me every time I've gone down there, that every person who crosses the border into Texas 
or in the Arizona, every single one of them pays a fee to the cartel. They don't pay a fee. They become obligated for a fee. Average 10 grand, probably. And they come into the United States, and some of them go off. You know, you just had an article in the New York Times about children come in at 14 years old. They go to Health and Human Services from the Border Patrol, and then they're sent off to a sponsor. Well, that sponsor may be somebody they've never known before, some name they have. Some of these people have sponsored 20 children or so. They end up working factory jobs where they, they, you know, they use false identification. Going, But they're, and they're trying to work to pay off these, these fees. But it's beyond that, Rich. Think about all the people who the cartel needs to do something here in the United States. Mm-hmm. They've got organized crime networks. They're carrying on rackets. They're prostituting people. They're uh, engaged in distributing drugs. This is the most the most vulnerable class of people, the enormous number of people across the country, it seems to me that it has, and, and these stats are beginning to suggest it, that the biggest potential for the expansion of a criminal organization, not that migrants are criminals, don't get me wrong, it's that the cartel, we are empowering $15 billion or more a year in fee income for people coming across, and they use it to build their criminal organization here in the United States. It is a danger to every community, every family, everywhere in the country. And I fear that we're not going to be able to understand it completely until it's finally taken hold. And you come to a situation like they had January 5 in a town of about a million people called, uh, I think it's called Caliucan, Mexico. I may get that name slightly wrong where they had the Sinaloa cartel exchanging gunfire with helicopter gunships of the Mexican army, cars being set ablaze to block entrances to the city because the Mexican army was trying to take into custody Ovidio Guzman, the son of El Chapo. Oh, yeah. In other words, that cartel, like Americans are just somewhat oblivious of that situation. That cartel can fight with the army down there, right? And it's the same they one did. we're building the strength of here. Yeah, that, that's a that's an excellent point. And, and you know, we talked about this yesterday night. I brought it up for a moment on a separate notion uh, because there, for a while, every now and again, people bring up the idea. And I think the first one I heard say it was Trump saying, "How about we designate them narco terrorists? This way, we can use the military to go after them." And at the time, mm-hmm. I think they figured, you know, Trump's a wild card. He's a little on the wild side. Let's not play with him. And, and um, AMLO, the president of Mexico, <laughs> decided to play ball and they went with the migrant protection protocol, remain in Mexico policy, right. all of that. But I don't think anybody takes Biden seriously and they don't think he's a wild card and they don't think he'll actually do these things. So when, you know, when he said, you know, during the State of the Union, you guys yelled, you know, uh, secure the border. And he said, I will. I, you know, I almost threw up because I was like, who are you kidding Nobody believes you. But but that's, I think, that the problem we have now is there it's a free-for-all. And they go, oh, this guy with his aviator shades, he just smiles, he squints, he says a few non sequiturs, and, you know, we just move on. Right. There's an ideological commitment, and it's sort of just anger-based. And, you know, Biden, he doesn't have any particular leadership. He's always reflected whatever the current state of play is in the, among the left. And it has evolved over time, so he's content to just let it roll. And those guys just think, you know, if you have a border, it's white supremacy, uh, and you can't have that. So 
they're they're ideologically committed. I think they see it. Some of them see how bad it's getting, but they are. But he's he's not going to take any novel step to change direction to try to correct it. That that's one thing that you know even Bill Clinton in the century, Barack Obama, although he was pretty committed ideologue as well, but Clinton saw when things were going a direction that was going to leave him as a laughing stock, he kind of changed. Uh, you haven't seen that from Biden. He's too, he's, he's been in it too long. He's too, uh, frankly, never had the intellectual capacity, I think, to be ready to make those kinds of uh, adaptations. So we're, we're in for it. I mean, I don't, you know, if you got four and a half, five million, you double that uh, with another couple of years, I'd say we're in pretty bad shape on the border. I, I want to just touch back on that point because I think the point you raise is an interesting one. And I think it's multifaceted. And folks, we're, we're on with Representative Dan Bishop, North Carolina. The, 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 you mentioned that even Obama and Clinton, and, and I agree with you. I think both of them were very politically savvy. And I, I do believe that there is a very strong political suit inside of Joe Biden, but it's not as sophisticated as Obama or as Clinton. And, and, and yeah, they're, they're, like you said, they're committed ideologues, but I think with Joe Biden, I, I don't know if it's a, he doesn't care or he just has a different end game where he, I don't think he's looking to remain in politics. I think it's, it's the last hurrah. It's like, what can I get out of here to hang my hat on and say, you know, when I was in the white house, I did X, Y, and Z. Um, I don't yeah. know that he plays like he even wants to get reelected. What do you think? Um, I think there's something to that. It, you know, he's Joe, Joe Biden is a, is the epitome of a machine politician. Yes. A lot of people, of course, talk about, well, he's demented. And so I really don't think that he is demented. I think he's always had a fairly diminished capacity. He's never he's even not a bright, things, overly bright guy. Yeah, I mean, he's gotten away with murder. And he, he, he would he would plagiarize just outrageously. He would get up and just lie about how he was at the top of his class and all these things. It would come out, the truth would come out, and, and it, he would just sort of wait around and manage to keep going. He he's um, And so he's not never been one of the and, – and, and he's always – you know, you can look back. They always look back at the – things he said when he was in the Senate in the early days or along the way, and he's completely abandoned those positions. He just runs, he just, he just, um, he just goes along with the tide. And as you say, he's there, he's passive. He's just living yeah. it out. All right, Congressman, stand by. Folks, we're on with uh, Congressman Dan Bishop. We're going to continue to discuss this, uh, how do we, how we keep critical race theory out of schools and the military. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. If you want to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Right now, our guest is Congressman Dan Bishop, North Carolina, and we're talking about uh, the effects of critical race theory in the military, in schools, and what's being done to keep it out. Um, Representative Bishop, what's going on? I thought, you know, critical race theory was a hot-button term then uh, there was a lot of pushback, and it seems to have gone away. Then they were calling it social and emotional learning. Then it came back as uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they just keep softening the terms. The nomenclature gets softer, but the uh, the damage behind the idea seems the same. Yeah, and Rich, it's I mean the the left has never stopped with this. It's a it's cultural Marxism is another name for it. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, essence of it, and it is it is pervasive in academia. Some state legislatures have taken a swat at that. I think they're making, I think you look at what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida in particular, and some others, uh, they're making some progress. You know, President Trump was the first one to kind of take us, uh, take a stab at it. He did an executive order to, to ban it from the federal government. The notion of you know, some of the insidious and, and, corrupt notions within it that set Americans one against each other. That seems to be the design where you say, well, if you're white, then you're racist by your nature. Uh, and uh, if you're if you're non-white, then you're a victim and you've been victimized and the society victimizes you in a way that can never be changed. And so that's a perpetual state of affairs. That, that That's one little piece of it. But but so President Trump had an executive order. Of course, Biden revoked that, and and the Biden administration has been really going to town, uh, building more infrastructure to support uh, the you know their whole idea on equity, which means they want to enforce the laws differently against different groups of people with respect to different groups of people, and it's I mean it's really antithetical to everything that is the foundation of the fabric of the society of America. And so um, taking a page from President Trump's executive order, uh, Tom Cotton and I have two bills. One is generally to ban critical race theory concepts in the practices of the federal government or in anything the government pays for. And then more specifically, because one of the the last institutions that we can see fail or fall into the into this is the military and we're seeing a lot of i mean there's a lot there there you're seeing it crop up in the military academies and uh in in trainings all over the place various concepts you remember general milley famously saying he would like to understand white rage unbelievable remember that one and uh it's got so we got to get a hold of it i you know it's another situation where i think you badly need a republican president uh, in order to bring the leadership to, to bear to get this to, to sort of turn the corner on it, so I, you're right. I mean, it's it's not. It has been something that popped up a you know when it when it came up a little over a year ago when it was kind of really uh, prominent. Maybe maybe beginning of 2021. Um, I remember the consultant's advice passed around through the Republican Party here in the House was, oh, you want to stay 100 miles away from anything about critical race theory because you're going to call you a racist. Right, it was Frank Luntz's advice, and I said, "Hmm, I think we need to file a bill against this stuff." Right, <laughs> I think that's exactly our problem. We've gotten, we've become intimidated, or, or, or 
if not intimidated, then, then there's a, a Republican instinct to Jack kind of just let's just not take the bait. Let's let it pass pass by. It's going to be OK. This stuff is not going to be OK, Rich. And my whole reason for being doing what I do, being in Congress, is I think you got to show some fight. I think you've got to show uh, we're damn well not going to be steamrolled into destroying everything that's been good about this country. And so we have this bill, these bills, and it's part of that fight. And uh, I think we'll have a better shot of moving them through the House this year. And may, and we're looking for those opportunities to go to the mat in a leveraged situation and and try to cram it through the Senate and see what the president does. But we're, I'm pretty realistic about it. I think it's a long-term fight for America. You're 100% right. And f- let me remind everybody, we're on with uh, Congressman Dan Bishop from North Carolina. The, 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 this bill you're talking about and, and many others that are like it uh, to to prevent critical race theory from going in the military and other institutions, I think it's, it's critical and not in the sense that they use critical. But uh, it's important for us because I, I interview a lot of people here from generals, lieutenant colonels, people that were, you know, brass in the military and, and they're out and you know, some of them are, are very comfortable discussing their disdain and others, you could hear how brokenhearted they are when they have to talk about how demoralized, you know, their colleagues that are still in are um, w- when they discuss what's happening in in, in our American military. And th- we're talking about morale, you know, n- let alone older equipment, Cold War era nukes and it, it, it raises the alarm that, you know, if the United States isn't the strongest army in the world, things change, right? Doesn't this change the dynamic of, of how the ebb and flow of the world works when the U.S. isn't it anymore? Absolutely. And all of the, you know, actually, if you look at the military budget and uh, during President Trump's time and even following that, we've it, even that's we ain't solving the the. Uh, the spending and debt problem by having a smaller military. I mean, we're, we're spending a lot of money to, to try to make sure we have the strongest military in the world. And if you destroy it culturally in a way that is so open and notorious that all the bad guys in the world can see it, <laughs> you've, you've got the worst of all possible worlds. You've, you've uh, incurred the indebtedness and weakened your financial position in order to commit to that, to the, Having those uh, the the capacities that you're supposed to have technologically, but you don't have the leadership and the and the the strength, the kind of tensile strength throughout the organization that that will intimidate uh, evildoers in the world. It's horrific, and Th- that's um, the, I, I think the there scary are a lot part. of guys who get it. I think there are a lot of folks who get it. You know some. Folks have said you got to take everybody above a two-star and you got to fire them all and start over. <laughs> and the, the the damage that's been done there to the leadership core of the military began, at least under Obama, and has um, and there's there's a lot of problems. Uh, and I think we got to uh, got to confront it. Now, in addition to a bill like this, how else do you envision uh, making a meaningful change to protect the men and women in uniform? You know, we passed a. We, we we sort of. I mean, one thing that's another thing I think is weakened the military tremendously was the vaccine mandate. The, I've, I've had young men who had been, you know, I think of one in particular who had been accepted for SEAL service. You know, SEAL training. Mm-hmm. Fantastic young man. Uh, wasn't going to take the vaccine. Didn't feel like he needed to. And he just wasn't going to do it. And his life 
course has now been altered. He, we, he had, then he had trouble getting out. He was sort of kept on ice for nine months or so. We could finally got him out. But, uh, you know, the nation would be better served if he were a Navy SEAL. And um, so that we did accomplish in the National Defense Authorization Act that passed just before Christmas, um, finally, to uh, to force the uh, repeal of the vaccine mandate so that doesn't hang over the heads of right. young men and women who remain. Um, but I, it, um, I think we've got to... Look, I think most of these things about where the culture is rotting out institutions, um, I think we've got to confront it. And that's what I made reference to earlier. I think you've got to be, you know, I, I, you talked about, you hear in military guys that talk about it and, they're, and they seem so disheartened. They're always guarded in talking about it. They, they're, people are afraid because of their position or careers or they just right. not in a position to do it, to speak out about things. That's why I think shows like yours and, the discourse that goes on here, I think it, it's it's incumbent on people like me not to be so um, shy about how you do it. Just go take it on. Tell tell people who we are as Americans. Um, I, we had an argument in the Judiciary Committee in a hearing just the other day. Steve Cohen from Tennessee talks to me because he doesn't think right. Let me just clarify God. for the audience. Uh, Steve Cohen is the chicken man. Okay, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Guy's a clown. Yes. But he, he, and and you know they're they're trying to it's they're open about um, demeaning the concept of God. Hmm. It's really it's, it's amazing. But so several of us gave them as good as they get as they got as they got. You know, I mean, we we spoke out and said, no, I'm 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 absolutely convinced that this country continues to uh, thrive only by virtue of the hand of a beneficent and suffering and caring God. And our rights in Thomas Jefferson had it right. Thomas Jefferson, the other authors of the Declaration of Independence, when they said that we're endowed by our creator with inalienable rights. And I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an inclination to be a little hesitant to speak out or to, to hold it back and let these guys just say what they want to say and people will understand. But I, I believe it's important. This is the moment in our nation's history when I know, a lot of, I know a lot of people decry the divisiveness. I don't like the divisiveness, but I notice Democrats are never concerned about enough about divisiveness to quit being divisive. <laughs> and I think so Republicans true. are... Over the course of the last decade or so, some of us have finally said enough's enough, and I think it's none too soon. Yeah, I think you're hitting it all on the head. It's about uh, drawing the contrast, and they try to label that always as creating this uh, this separation in society. But oftentimes it's just, hey, this is good, this is bad, right? And that's as simple as it gets. Congressman, stick with us. I want to get your take on China and uh, the recent COVID revelations as well. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez.
All right, we got a call from Lance in Galloway, New Jersey, WOND, with a question for Congressman Dan Bishop. Lance, go right ahead. You're on with Congressman Bishop and Rich Valdez. Welcome. A gracious good evening, Rich, Congressman. Uh, I wanted to know, number one, it's that the actual fact that it took years for this critical race theory, theory to literally be seep into the mindset of every branch of our government, especially the military, and foremost, the big megaphone of the teachers' unions. But my question really is, do you think that since uh, we've come up with all those new revelations in regards to COVID, that already we've had a proxy war started or a false flag from China for the last three years or four years? Because bio-warfare was what I think now people are seeing. It was the COVID virus, which they allowed to come out. But even if it came out, they allowed it to expand and get out of their country and infiltrate Europe first and then everywhere else. And the chemical warfare against us is the fact that they synthetically produce everything needed to get fentanyl into our country. And how come I don't understand why the War Powers Act isn't being utilized and because sanctions do nothing except make other people rich. So I just want to, not you, Rich Valdez. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> Thank you, Lance. I appreciate it. Congressman, go right ahead. Yeah, Lance, thanks for the question. And it's a good observation. Um, I, I, You know, the, the one thing that you said in particular there at the end is that um, and, and I was talking earlier to you, Rich, about mm-hmm. the uh, developing strength of the Mexican cartels. But it is worth noting that all of the precursors that come in to manufacture the fentanyl come from China. The financing for the cartels, they actually get financing from China, I'm told. Uh, and so he's, Lance is right about that. On the, on the COVID thing, um, you know, I don't know where to say. I mean, I, it seems to me still, in terms of what seems right to my gut, I don't know that there was a. And, and I think Lance even uh, expressed some uncertainty about it. I, I'm not so sure. I don't think China probably had a great plan to release it. I think they did it to themselves as well. Right. But and 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 I got the point about the you know allowing travel. I'm not sure if they even knew what they were dealing with necessarily right at the beginning. It, but. <laughs> But it certainly is true. And I don't know at the end of the day whether it seems to me the United States, uh, the, the Anthony Fauci and the decisions to uh, spend federal taxpayer money uh, in Wuhan to facilitate gain of function research is probably what's going to turn out to have been the, the error there. So the, you know, China certainly is, a, is bad and they're doing bad things all across the, the world. But I guess one separating one from the other, sometimes it's hard to know whether the federal government might not be uh, an enemy of sorts, too, in the decisions that get made. They seem to compound all these problems. But to the point about Mexico and fentanyl precursors and the financing, uh, there's a guy in Congress, Warren Davidson of Ohio, great member. He's got a, a bill to designate the cartels, uh, 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 I, I think it's, it's the way he does it, as a terrorist organization. So they'd be sunk, uh, subject to activity by the United States military. Uh, Defense Department could sanction or, or take action, not directly. I don't think it contemplates 
use of military force per se, but it um, it it you know changes the ball game. I, I think some of that is inviting, and you're going to have to do something if China is going to be in the you know off our borders, uh, creating the conditions to mass poison American youth. Then yeah, that's getting pretty serious. Uh, we are going to have to confront China. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, I think we end up getting kind of in wars at the drop of a hat when our real adversary is China. So I, I don't disagree with Lance. I think those uh, um, we've got a real, a, a very significant um, confrontation coming with China. We need to make sure it's not a war. We need to make sure we're strong enough so that China will never be inclined to go to war with the United States. Congress, uh, thank you, Lance, for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, Congressman, you know, there's a lot of talk about this coming confrontation. And, and again, you know, we'll all choose our words wisely. But, you know, some people are saying, look, we're going to war with China by 2025 and we better be ready for it. How realistic of a, a comment do you think that is? Um, I don't think that China, that China wants to go to war with the United States. I think China does want to press us on every front. Uh, and they, but they have, they got a lot of problems of their own. And, uh, I, I believe we've got to just got to, I mean, one of the, and we talked about this earlier, leadership from the Biden administration is troubling because. Oh, sure. It, it, Congressman, it, hang on. The producer's beating me up. He says, I have to take a break. Can you stick with us for 30 more seconds? I'll do it. You yep, got I'll it. Stand it. by. It's Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Congressman Dan Bishop. You can get him on Twitter at Rep Dan Bishop, at Rep Dan Bishop. Now, Congressman, I'm sorry I cut you off before and you were just giving your um, your final thought on, on China and whether there's a, a conflict coming or what. I think this is the last point I guess I'd say, Rich, is that I think it's not inevitable. And here's the thing that's most important, I think, for Americans to remember. In the late 70s, things looked pretty bad. We felt like we were under pressure from everywhere in the world. Iran was making fools of us. Ronald Reagan was elected, and things changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. We do need a president elected in 2024 desperately who is capable of leading as well. But if that's done, think back to where Trump was. China, we weren't convinced there was going to be a confrontation with China that would be open warfare. He intended to best China, just like Reagan bested the Soviet Union. Right. It will, it can occur, but we just got to have an election go the right way in 2024. We need that. the leadership. Now, are, are you running for president, sir? <laughs> no, I'm just going to stay in the Congress and try to fight like hell to uh, okay. prepare prepare folks and make them know what's at stake uh, so that we have a shot at, at now, doing it. Do you it. have any classified like documents with you? <laughs> I think that, they haven't handled, handed those to me to put in my garage yet. But we'll let you know. Next to your vet. <laughs> All right, sir. Yeah. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Hope to have you back soon. Good to be with you, Rich. Thank yes, you. sir. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about debt with millennials coming up straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, and that's uh, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I encourage you to uh, chime in with your comments on social media, uh, or give us a call, 833-4, that's the number, 4-833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number if you want to join us that way. And uh, I want to talk about some of the uh, headlines today very quickly. Um, John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, He's now co-sponsoring bills despite being institutionalized because he said he was taking a long break because of these issues he was having. And I just think it's, I mean, again, obviously there's no rules against this, but maybe there ought to be a rule against it. You know, I mean, you can't have a beer and drink or you can't drink a beer and drive a car, but apparently you can uh, have serious mental uh, or, you know, medical defect and uh, continue to govern. And that's one of the things that's going on there. There's also uh, AOC, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, is facing House ethics uh, investigations over the Met Gala. Now they're saying there is substantial reason to believe that violations occurred. So all out crazy, watch out. Speaking of all out crazy, you know, she's a millennial. And uh, millennials seem to be um, in a unique position when it comes to racking up debt. There are some articles out there that are indicating that uh, millennials have seen their debt load rise higher than others have seen their debt rise. And to to help us understand why and how that's happening, I wanted to bring in a a financial expert that could help us understand it. So help me welcome Jarl Jensen. He's the author of The Big Solution, Deactivating the Ticking Time Bomb of Today's Economy. Jarl Jensen, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. So let's talk about this. Uh, I guess, you know, my initial uh, response to something like this, I look at this and I go, oh, well, that's because millennials, they don't, they don't think. Or, you know, they're, they're quicker to, to make judgments and, and react emotionally to things. But those are just my opinions. What, what is the real reason, I guess, if you drill down on this? Why are we seeing millennials um, carry more debt than any other generation out there? Well, I mean, first of all, you're talking about uh, the age between 30 and 40. Uh, they should be starting families. They should be having kids. And obviously, kids are very expensive. So them taking on more debt uh, is no surprise. But why they are taking on more debt than previous generations uh, is probably uh, because of how the economy is evolving with technology uh, the fact that you need uh, a, a larger and larger education just to, uh, uh, you know, uh, be able to afford raising a family. You needed two incomes, and now you need two pretty big incomes to uh, raise a, uh, you know, a, a two to three child family. Uh, and this is all part of how the economy just keeps advancing with technology, automation, 
education has to, you know, we've gone from a high school education being good enough to raise a family. Now you need a, then you needed a, you know, a bachelor's degree. Now you need a master's degree or a PhD just to uh, make enough money to start a family. Uh, you know, the rat race isn't slowing down. The rat race is getting faster, meaner, uh, and, and it's harder. And the question we have to start asking ourselves is why is this happening? Shouldn't uh, automation technology that is uh, making life easier, why is life still getting harder? Why should we, why should it be necessary to take on debt to, to have a family? Uh, and why, I mean, it certainly isn't good for society to basically uh, tell uh, people that are in the uh, you know, family, uh, the age where they start a family, that it's just too expensive. So you better not start a family. And if you do start a family and you can't afford it, well, that's your fault. Well, the truth is it's actually not their fault, right? They, I mean, you, you only get once in a life to, uh, to start a family that, you know, the like, you know, that many years to, uh, you know, once you reach 40 and 50, it's just not such a good idea anymore to start a family. So you have a limited number of uh, years and amount of time to start a family. Um, so we really need to talk about, uh, and that's what my book is about, is what's going on with our economy? How come things are getting harder, not easier? Uh, and what is a solution? What is a big solution that can really change the game for us? And so uh, what's happening is that economics blames people for what's happening uh, with our economy, right? In other words, the people's behavior determines what's going to happen next in the economy. But we, I know that from uh, any other field of science or engineering, that's not how you figure things out. In order to figure out how come something happens, you have to determine what are the inputs into a system that determines the output. So engineers, for example, can design a bridge uh, to last for hundreds of years and carry uh, billions of cars uh, over those years. Uh, but the economy, we can't even predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Ask any economist, uh, well, ask two economists and you get two different opinions of what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, so in other words, why is it that the economy is so unpredictable and yet everything else we're doing with technology, science and engineering is very predictable? And, and the answer is, of course, that economics isn't a science because the, the whatever the pseudoscience economic studies people to determine what's going to happen with the economy. Well, in order to really figure out what, how the economy works, we need to start looking at the inputs into the economy. And as it turns out, there's actually one, only one input into the economy. It's debt. And that's debt that is uh, uh, issued by banks. Uh, so we live in a debt-driven economy. This is why when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates on debt, it has a huge impact on our economy. Uh, so if you want to uh, create a world where, you know, 30-year-olds uh, can uh, easily start a family and raise uh, ki kids, uh, a world without poverty, if you want to raise, uh, if you want to create a sustainable society, you have to look at the inputs into society. And then if you adjust those with engineering techniques, now you can start solving these problems like poverty, uh, uh, reducing the cost of living so people can start, start families. Uh, and um, that is um, 
Well, in a synopsis, that is uh, what it will take to create a much better world and basically uh, start leveraging technology for uh, solving the world's problems as opposed to being completely stuck in this uh, uh, very old uh, economic system started back in uh, 1913 uh, with the uh, Federal Reserve Act of 1913. This is the same economic system started back then that we live under today. Uh, and that's what has to change in order for us are to fundamentally change. Are you suggesting we change. have – so when you say change, are you saying we should have a new economic, uh, an economic system? And if so, what system are you uh, suggesting? Right. So, uh, no, we don't, we don't need to change that much. We just do need to change the way money flows into the economy and out of the economy as well. So uh, the Federal Reserve runs under policy. It's called monetary policy. And the Federal Reserve pretty much um, follows that policy. But we have to understand why was a, this particular set of policies written in the first place? Well, back in 1907, a man by the name of J.P. Morgan, uh, he owned the largest bank and is still one of the largest banks in the world. And he bailed out the federal government. And he made a deal with the federal government, said, I'm going to bail you out, but then you have got to let me uh, and the uh, commercial banks in America uh, take control over uh, the currency, the U.S. dollar. Uh, so uh, that's how the, uh, the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 came about. And this is how uh, come the Federal Reserve uh, being uh, run and controlled by the commercial banks has access to the printing presses of the dollar. Uh, and so you can, you can imagine how uh, important and powerful of a position this is. And we all know how powerful it is by, uh, by seeing what happens to uh, our stock markets and our economy when the Federal Reserve raises and lowers interest rates. Yeah. We've seen the power of quantitative easing and so on. Uh, but the truth is, is that there is tremendous opportunity and there are, is tremendous pain felt by not optimizing uh, and utilizing the power of the Federal Reserve for the good of the people of the United States and the rest of the world. Y'all, Jensen, let me chime in here. So you're saying that we the, the, the problem is the central bank itself, the, that the Fed creates monetary policy and we should end the Fed and that would uh, be the, the first reform on the economy? No, well, I would I would say that certainly the commercial banks uh, should not uh, be the owners of the Federal Reserve, which is why it is not actually a, a uh, an agency of the federal government. It is a separate corporation mm -hmm. owned by the, the bank. And so, but is that your the, premise to to end the Fed and uh, get rid of the central bank? Well, uh, we still need banks. Uh, we still need the Federal Reserve to uh, obviously issue. Um, uh, loans to banks, so those banks can then make loans to uh, you know whoever needs them. So we don't want to change things that fundamentally, but what we do want to do is create new ways of getting money into the economy. In other words, we don't need to be a, a, a uh, you know we can also bring money into the economy in a way that isn't debt. Uh, and, and, and still control uh, money supply and so on. And we can still control inflation. In fact, we can much more effectively control inflation if we change the way uh, money flows into the economy for the purpose of lowering the cost. Obviously, if you lower the cost of living, right, then you also uh, 
it will have a huge effect on inflation. In fact, it's deflationary. But you can imagine if, if the cost of uh, housing is, is – is kind of, so part of the problem with today's economy is, is in order for the economy to grow, uh, housing prices have to go up, which means housing costs go up and, and rent goes up. And, and so the cost of living keeps going up as we uh, – the Federal Reserve keeps driving for larger and larger um, growth in GDP. Um, so, you know, that, that's fundamentally the problem here is that we have a one input into our economy yeah. and we, we expect that one input uh, with higher and lower interest rates to uh, create, uh, uh, you know, the magical solutions. But as we can look at our society, we can see, well, this is no magical solutions. We have serious problems and we need to start solving them. And by changing money flows, you you, you basically change uh, reality, the, uh, how we understand reality, right. what, what will happen, because we are completely controlled by the flow of money through debt. All right, now, let me just remind everybody of the book. The book is um, The Big Solution, and uh, the uh, subtitle here is Deactivating the Ticking Time Bomb of Today's Economy. Uh, I don't want you to give it all away, Jarl Jensen, because I want people to be able to pick up a copy of the book and enjoy it. Uh, the The website is jarljensen.com, J-A-R-L-J-E-N-S-E-N. And Jarl, I appreciate it. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more time, but um, we're going to leave it here. And if um, if we could rely on you in the future to talk about millennials and the economy, I'd really appreciate it if you'd visit us again. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Thank you, folks. More to come straight ahead. Make sure you check out Jarl Jensen and his website. We're going to continue this discussion with your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I just wanted to touch, uh, uh, to put a a pin in uh, uh, the conversation we were having. There's an article that I saw in Business Insider, businessinsider.com. And um, interesting uh, uh, on the economy here. Author is Jacob Zinkula. It's from two days ago. And uh, here's the headline. Millennials are building up a mountain of debt in pursuit of the middle-class American dream. And they're starting to miss credit card payments at an alarming rate. And and this is part of what, you know, we, we kind of just had a little bit of a discussion on this with uh, our previous guest. But millennials are taking on debt faster than any other age group. Many of them are looking to finally buy a home or a car and start a family. And we, we discussed that. And th- the importance of that is you, you need to either get into debt or be debt free, you know, right? In order to make those moves, you can't have, I don't know, $200,000 in debt and then try to buy a house. It doesn't work that way, right? If you're going to have $200,000 in debt, hopefully it's because you have a house, you know, or a condo or something like that where you're working toward that. And 
going into significant debt may be the only way that millennials can actually afford a middle-class lifestyle because many of them don't get married and incomes aren't like they were. So yeah, the economy plays a big role in this. But the taking on significant debt is, is one of the things that I think is important. Living your lifestyle above and beyond your means. This was something that I may have wanted to do when I was younger. I just wasn't able to. And, and you know, especially if you're in a relationship and I, I was married pretty young, I, there was no way I could have said, oh, let's buy, you know, you know, be house poor, like they say, you know, and have this big old house, but have no money. Uh, it wasn't a, a doable thing. We had to live within our means because at least my, my ex-wife was very kind of grounded in reality and made sure that we, we didn't do those types of lofty things unless we could actually afford them. Uh, but it, it's an interesting piece, and I'll put it out on social media so that you could take a look at it. Uh, but it it, uh, it talks about delaying marriage and, um, you know, home buying and, and having kids are, are things that come later in life for many millennials. So some of them are finally opting for that traditional middle-class lifestyle, but in order to make it happen, they have to finance it with borrowed money. And, and I find that to be the, the, the most interesting part of this. And there's a, a follow-up piece to it embedded in that article that's uh, in the Wall Street Journal as well. So just a little something to take a look at. And I'll just give you a snippet of it. Since 2019, American millennials in their 30s have seen their total debt rise 27% to the tune of $3.8 trillion as of the fourth quarter of last year. And that's according to the Fed. Now, this was the largest increase of any age group measured over this particular time period, and it marked this particular group's pace, which is the fastest pace of debt accumulation in any three-year period since 2008, and that's according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, the debt load is the beginning, but it takes a toll. So in the Fed report, they found that millennials are missing credit card and auto loan payments at rising rates. That's where it gets tricky, because guess what? You're not gonna do well with having kids or buying a home if you're skipping credit card payments. And I don't mean that you're not gonna be a good parent. I mean, it's gonna impact your credit and it's gonna cost you more in the long run. So along with good old inflation, we could thank Uncle Joe, El Baboso Biden, and the interest rates that are going up, it's become nearly impossible for so many millennials to afford a home, a car, or even kids, which are pretty much all of the markers of a traditional middle-class lifestyle. So I'll put this out on Twitter so you can take a look at it. And speaking of millennials, Lauren Conlon, uh, entertainment reporter, she's gonna be with us, and she's defying all the rules. She's married, she has kids, and uh, I think she's making it happen as a millennial. So we'll talk a little bit about that with her and get her entertainment report. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at night, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Welcome back, Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And I want to talk uh, about something one of my producers sent me. He said that South Park did an episode spoofing uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. I don't think we call him Prince Harry anymore. It's just Harry and Meghan. 
uh, and their public tour demanding privacy. And according to reports, Megan's really not happy and might be considering legal action, although her PR people, they deny it. Now, the world holds, you know, their breath over these people and what they're going to do. And will they go to the King Charles's coronation? Blah, 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 blah. Stuff that I don't really think about too much. But I found it interesting that South Park did <laughs> something on them. Because, you know, things that happen in South Park are usually really, really major. And Harry wants to be there, but he uh, apparently is a de- demanding an apology. Meghan thinks she's being ignored. And they don't want to support the institution that they've already accused of being racist. The whole thing is kind of crazy. So I said, you know, let me um, get with... Lauren Conlon, because Lauren Conlon's an entertainment reporter. I know her from my talk radio days in New York City. And and she always has her finger on the pulse of everything that's going on. So help me welcome Lauren Conlon. Welcome to the program. Hi. Sorry, Rich. I got disconnected, so I missed part of that. That's um, fine. But you, I'm here. I'm you just here. go with it. It's radio. You know, okay, of course. I'm yes, going thank with you. It. <laughs> <laughs> so of tell- course. I do. I do have my finger on the pulse. I do. What, what what do you make of this? Um, a what, what do you think of South Park uh, spoofing Harry and Meghan? And uh, are you part of the the crew that says Harry and Meghan are clowns themselves? Yes, of course they're clowns. <laughs> I actually fought your producer on even talking about this. Um, <laughs> no, and I'm de- I'm dead serious. I was like, I will do it for Rich, but like I don't want people to turn the the channel here just because yeah. they're so sick of talking about these two, you know? Yeah, I but never no. talk about these people, but it just seems to yeah. make such, there was such a, a hype in the media about a week ago or whatever. And I thought, you know, I really don't follow this stuff. I've never really cared about mm. them. I think it's cool. And, you know, you know, like my, 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 fit, my lineage goes back to this big castle in Spain. So I always thought, <laughs> how cool would it have been, you know, to like be an aristocrat and, you know, you know, have our own yeah. castle, but you know, I mean, uh, sure. I then I go to the next part thought would be cool. <laughs> right. No, that part would be cool. I mean, to be honest, I watched the South Park episode after I saw all the memes come out. And after <sighs> I saw, you know, everything that people were talking about, I was like, okay, let's see what this was all about. And yeah, it was hilarious. And yeah, I was here for the memes. I think these two, they they love the drama as much as they, you know, they pretend like they don't because they don't have jobs. And this is how they make money, you know, selling their drama for money, doing interviews. So that's not going to stop anytime soon, unfortunately, for, for people like you and I. Yeah, 100 percent. And mm. th- this is um, one of these things where I, for me, it's not so much about them. I think people like an escape, right? People like to be able mm-hmm. to escape reality for a moment, which is why. You know, when I, when I get on the radio, I, I always start with the news of the day and the stuff that, you know, irks all of us uh, because, you know, there mm-hmm. really are culture wars and there are things that are we can all be disappointed in, uh, like Joe Biden right. and others. But but <laughs> but ultimately. Right. And, and there's, you know, the, the news like we just had a, a discussion with uh, with an uh, uh, economic writer about how millennials are racking up more debt than any other age group. And. Ah. Some of the um, hmm. the the I guess the verdict that's come in is that millennials mm-hmm. are living like people in their sixties and seventies do. You know, with they're they're buying the expensive bags, they're living in the expensive homes, and but yeah. they don't have the same income that somebody who's mid career <laughs> or senior career. So they're financing it and they're they're accumulating massive debt. And you know, something I wow. said before you even came on was I said, well, Lauren Conlon's one of the millennials that's actually doing it, right? She's making, she does have kids because they were saying they forego yeah. having kids or they're delaying yeah. having kids, they're delaying buying a home. 
to, to pretend to live the American dream uh, based off of this debt that they're incurring. But I know you do have, you have two beautiful children, you're married, you're doing your thing. So I, I'm just yes. curious about that yes. on, on, on how you balance it. And do you agree with the assessment that, that millennials are, are, are financing their future? Well, are you sure it's millennials here and it's not Gen Z? No, yeah, it's specifically people, millennials, 30 to 40. Really? Because that, that to me is really crazy because I'm 38. I'm considered an elder millennial, let's say, right? Like a I'm senior citizen millennial? Yes, I am like a, yeah, cane using, um, Seattle's taking, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, no, I feel, I feel like I, millennials are not as bad as everyone paints them to be. Gen Z are, are the ridiculous ones right now. So I did not hear this about millennials because most of my friends are millennials and they're all in the same boat as, as I am. So this is coming as a shock to me. I, I don't agree with that. Good. I will add that, that Gen Z is, I mean, they are completely crazy telling us that we can't do side parts. We can't wear skinny jeans. You know, I'm like, guys, you know, you, you guys are eating Tide Pods, so you don't get to tell me what to do. <laughs> you, you know, you guys snack on Tide Pods. You, you have no right to give any advice. Yeah. I mean, the trends that these people are doing, the TikTok trends, the stupid stuff. I'm just like, no, you don't get to you don't get to tell me. Sorry. Yeah, understood. Well, let me remind everybody yeah. who we're on with. We're on with Lauren Conlon. She's an entertainment reporter. She does excellent commentary. She has a, a podcast called Lauren Interviews, and she does work with uh, Nikki Swift, and, and she's all over the place. She's excellent when it comes to entertainment reporting. And I want to get your take on uh, the latest celebrity death, Tom Sizemore's death, uh, but before we do, I'm going to take a quick pause and remind people where they could get you. Uh, you're on Twitter at Conlon underscore Lauren and on Instagram at Lauren Interviews. So take a minute, give her a yes. follow, uh, check her out and stick with us. And if you want to have a, a quick one-on-one -on -one with Lauren, feel free to ask away. The phone number is 833, the number 4-Valdez. 833-4-Valdez is our phone number. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-482. 5337-833-4-Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, welcome back. And yeah, I did not mean to intimate that Sizemore himself is dead. I'm talking about his career as um, is laid out in this article on NikkiSwift.com by Lauren Conlon. Inside Tom Sizemore's tumultuous life and career, it seems he, he goes from one unfortunate event to another. And this was a, a once great illustrious career that seems to um, that seems to have died from what I'm looking at, but maybe I'm wrong. Lauren Conlon, welcome back. What's going on with Tom Sizemore's career? Okay, so well, you know that Tom Sizemore is on life support right now, and it's probably going to be um, he's going to be taken off life support. You know that? No, so you I didn't know totally, that. I know yeah. that he's going Sorry. through a tough time. I didn't know how that it was that tough. Oh no, he. So this is this is something that happened literally days ago. Um, he had a brain aneurysm or he had a stroke that led to a brain aneurysm. He's been on life support and it was just uh, released 
yesterday or maybe the day before, I'm sorry, the day before that his family is now pushed to make to make an end of life decision because there's no further hope for him per the doctors. Now, I've been I've been waiting on this news because I love Tom Sizemore. Sure. Um, so I, I had been reaching out to his reps and saying, can I get an update? Can I get an update? And then right before um, they released the news that there was no further hope from him, I got an update from a former rep of his, and it was just heartbreaking. He basically said this came out of nowhere, and obviously Tom's had many troubles in his life, right? But he's always been a fighter, always been a warrior, and they really thought he was going to come out of this alive. And, yeah, it's not – it's really not looking like it. So I'm waiting any day now here. He's, they're going to make an announcement that the poor guy's passed away. Wow. That's unfortunate. Um, it is. It is. Um, especially but when I, you've I struggled so much like this guy has. Well, yes, yes. And so this article, you know, so for a lot of these articles I have to write, it's a feature piece. So a lot of it has to detail some of the negative aspects of his life. But I really tried to highlight the positive ones towards towards the end of the article, being that, you know, he did eventually get sober. He is teaching acting um, to students in L.A. and he is happy. But, yeah, uh, he's he's been through it. And that's really it's really not a secret. But he's done some of the best movies, arguably the best movies um, that Hollywood's ever produced. Let's say Heat. Hello, uh, Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. Natural Born Killers. I mean, these are all classics, total classics. So, I mean, I he is he is going to be missed, and I think he's one of the the better actors of our generation. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't disagree. Uh, all mm. all great roles in in films that became almost instant classics, in my opinion. Yes, yes, and I mean. I also really loved him when I watched Celebrity Rehab on VH1. That was one of the few <laughs> reality seen, shows I that I watched. Him. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, it was crazy because he had this tumultuous relationship with Heidi Fleiss, you know, the the Hollywood madam. And at one point on the show, I mean, and this is what really kind of pisses me off is that she's posting all over Instagram how sad she is about Tom. Then you you watch her clips in the show. She's screaming at him how disgusting he is and how he can turn a woman gay. So go back and watch that on YouTube where I'm like, Heidi Fleiss, like, make up your mind. She, You know, he also went to jail over her because, you know, he was he was accused of uh, abusing her or whatever she accused him of. It was abuse. Yeah. But I mean, their relationship, terrible. And she has the balls to go on Instagram and start, you know, that really bothered me. But anyway, anyway, I'm praying for him and for his family because this cannot be easy. Oh, of course not. hundred percent. That's a, yeah. a no go. Yeah. Now I want to ask you about a, a headline that we, we haven't discussed prior. And this is a, a little bit of a interesting, I find it interesting. This is about mm-hmm. a, um, where'd it go? Hold on. Don't yeah. So New York city. Nope. Not New York city. Hold on. Here it is. Some <laughs> sex ed classes were canceled after mm-hmm. the instructor told the children that there were 73 genders. Oh my gosh. Stop it. Yeah. I'm stop looking it. at this is I, uh, on the I post can't. millennial today. Oh my goodness. Yesterday. Excuse me. And, and my, my thinking, it says here, sex ed classes have been suspended and there's a formal investigation that's been launched after a drag queen allegedly taught 11-year-old girls that there are 73 genders and other uh, 7th grade groups were taught about anal sex and sex change <gasps> surgeries. 
Seventh graders. So oh my seventh grade, I don't know, it's 11 oh or 12 years old. According to the Telegraph, um, the government uh, launched an independent review of this sex ed curriculum in response to mm-hmm. parent complaints about this okay. graphic, this, uh, this, you know, disproportionate, indecent presentation. There's a quote from this article involving descriptions of sexual acts and discussion about gender identity in these lessons. And, you know, they were upset and whatnot. And, and it seems like they're hanging their head on saying one child disagreed that there are not 73 genders responding. There are only two. <laughs> the drag queen uh, replied, you've upset me <laughs> and made the student leave the classroom. So you're a mom. Look, I, I'm a dad. And I've been a, a, a dad for a long time. Um, you know, my big girl's 22 now. But you have little kids still. And, you know, you're raising your little kids in a time that was... I couldn't, I, it didn't even cross my mind to think that my kids might ever come home from school and be like, oh, today my, you know, my teacher said I could be a boy or a girl. I mean, there was one case like that coming out of California at the time, Schwarzenegger vetoed it, uh, but there was a curriculum where they were saying, we think kindergarten teachers should ask kindergartners, you know, when you grow up, do you want to be a boy or do you want a girl? Do you want to be a girl? Or do you want to marry a boy or do you want to marry a girl? You know, just pushing that type of thinking on small children. But again, it was vetoed in California. Back then, imagine that things like that getting vetoed in California. Now it's celebrated and created there. But my my thinking is, what's what's the? Uh, and I'm going to ask the question here, but we'll get your response on the other side. What is it like in this environment raising children in in this left wing society? Hold your thought on that. And folks, you're welcome to answer that too. Eight three three, the number four Valdez is our phone number. Eight three three four Valdez. Eight three three four eight two five three three seven. This is America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so uh, we're with Lauren Conlon. We're talking about the challenges of parenting during uh, this time of culture wars. And um, just to leave you one thing uh, on this story that I didn't mention before about the child that said, no, there's not 73 genders, there's only two. Uh, There were additional complaints that alleged that one group of seventh graders was taught about oral and anal sex, while another group in the same grade was shown images of a phalloplasty, which is a, a... uh, surgery on the men's genitalia, which involves surgeons stripping the skin and flesh of a female patient's forearm and using it to construct a non-functional appendage resembling the male genitalia when women are transitioning. Wow, I did not know that that was a thing, uh, but now I do. And Lauren Conlon, all that being said, what's it like parenting two little people in this in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, this This actually, I can't lie, this brings me to tears. Um, I, because my kids are so impressionable, and it's, it's very uh, coincidental that when I was putting my daughter to bed tonight, we had a short discussion because they did a project at school. She's almost seven. She's in first grade. And it was all about them and their identity. And they all put their pronouns on there. And I had noticed that a boy in her class put the pronouns he, him, and she, her. 
And I was like, why did he do that? I asked her, my daughter, I said, why did he do that? And she said, well, uh, he wants to be a girl. And I'm like, cool. Well, he's not a girl. So you can be respectful and call him whatever he wants, but understand he is not a girl and he will never be a girl. And then I went to, to go on and tell her what makes a girl and a woman so special. And that is what's killing me is that by telling kids that boys can be girls and, and blah, 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 you are just erasing what we can do as women. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to me and it's just disgusting. And, you know, additionally, there's a definition of truth, right? There's truth and feeling. The uh, well, truth is that, that there, are, there are two genders. That's, that's the truth. That's that's the trick like, question of, is there a definition no, that is for not, truth? Though. And, <laughs> and the problem is, Rich, like you and I know that's not a trick question, but you know, it just, it stems from like, I, I also teach my daughter's Sunday school class and I'm actually not this Bible thumping person. You know me, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a spiritual person. I, you know, I love God. And I, I just have to say teaching the kids at church, one thing with, you know, truth and feeling, and then them going to school and learning another thing, it's really troubling. And it's, it's just imagine how bad it would be if they didn't get Sunday school. Yeah. And, and how many kids don't like I'm in New York. This is very rare. I grew up in a Baptist church, you know, so it's super rare, but I'm, you know, I think it's just really important to me that I teach my kids kindness, and, but also the truth. It's like, listen, your friend wants that's a boy wants to be called a girl, call them whatever they want, be respectful, be nice. But when you come home, you and I can talk real and say, wow, yeah, clearly not a girl. You know, can he have a baby? No. Can he do this? No. Like, sorry. <laughs> right. You know, there was this, um, I don't know. Uh, like a short clip of video. I forget who was in it. Otherwise I would definitely give attribution, but it was, a, a, mm. a, a, I don't want to say a drag queen. I think it was a transgender. I don't know if the word transvestite is still a thing, but it looked like a transvestite <laughs> from mm-hmm. what, how yeah. I would describe it. Blonde guy. You could see the stubble on his face a little bit. And, but he was dressed as a woman and he was, he was saying, look, I'm a trans woman. He said, but really, mm. If you have to put trans in front of my name, I'm already not a woman, right? <laughs> and he right, went on to say, look, right. I can't have a baby. I don't menstruate. I don't whatever. But I identify as a woman. And he said, these people that are trying to say that we can because trans women can do this and can do that. He's like, you know, they're, they're, they're cheapening my trans experience is basically what he was saying. Right. And I thought he was, you know, right. um, on target, at least, you know, he was being very genuine. And I look yeah, at something I mean, like yeah. that and I think, man, this is the um, uh, the epitome of if, if everybody were to just play in, in that ballpark, right, and just say, hey, look, you know, uh, I'm straight, I'm going to have a family, I'm trans, I'm going to do whatever, you know, then I think there'd be a lot more respect and understanding. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting to me also because uh, Jeffree Star, who's a, he's a makeup guru, or, or they, I'm sorry, I don't want to misgender anybody, but they are a makeup guru, and he just, or no, actually, that's a he. He said, listen, <laughs> if you're trans, you're a male or a female. You can't be a they, right? Like, pick R- one. Right, right. Might be the same person I'm thinking of. I don't know his name, but it might be the same video. Lauren Conlon, the music means they're kicking me out, but I want to thank you for being with us. I always appreciate your updates and the conversation. It's a pleasure. Sure, thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for sticking around. All right, folks, check her out online, Lauren Conlon. More to come straight ahead. Open Phone America. Give us a call. Live from the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, live from the nation's capital tonight in the Westwood One Studios here in Washington, D.C. I'm in town for CPAC, and we're going to talk a little bit about that shortly. Um, I also wanted to um, invite you to call. This is obviously the Open Phone America portion of the program where you guys get to call in. We don't book any guests in this uh, hour because we want you to be heard. So feel free to give us a call. 866-505-4626, our legacy line, you can always call there, or the brand new hotline to chime in with your opinions and comments, uh, 833-4, that's the number four, and V-A-L-D-E-S, Valdez, that's my last name, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and of course, that's Valdez with an S, and I'm looking forward to all of your comments. Now, there's a bunch of things that we've talked about thus far. We've talked about the millennial debt. We've talked about the culture wars and how there's there's such a, I don't know, like an onslaught of, of genders. I just talked about the 73 genders, and, and the kid said, no, there's only two, and, and he got in trouble, and then the parents were complaining, and it's, it's just a crazy thing. Then just a couple of days ago, a teacher um, was presenting to kids that Nintendo characters have sexual gender identities. One of the things that, that she said, quote, was Peach is a massive lesbian. A New York educator also discussed speaking with her school's assistant principal of, about how to bring up with her students that she is polyamorous. Now, listen, you might be polyamorous. That's fine. I can tell you that if I was, I wouldn't want anybody to know. I wouldn't want my students to know. That's kind of crazy. But that's what's going on. And these drag queen shows, they they get more and more interesting. I'm looking at, again, a sidebar story here. It says, graphic drag show for babies. Why on earth would... and, And the picture I'm looking at has little kids like that don't even know how to sit up yet where their parents still have to hold them. Now I'm thinking, why on earth would... Really, I mean, if if drag is adult entertainment, and if you're a drag queen, please call in and help us understand why a child younger than a year old would need to sit through or should sit through or what the benefit is of sitting through uh, this this type of uh, display of entertainment. But anyway, that's a sidebar. Let me go back to the story here. And this teacher uh, employed by the New York City Department of Education presented to middle school uh, students that Nintendo characters have different sexual gender identities. Um, Remy Elliott, certified under the name Jeremy William Elliott, posts public videos on her TikTok account describing her approach to teaching. She currently teaches ninth grade English and was previously a teacher in younger grades. Now, Fox News Digital reached out for comment. This um, Elliott decided to delete the videos in question and make her account private so that it couldn't be viewed by anybody. Now, an after-school program for the Department of Ed through their their club that they call the the Gay Straight Alliance Club 
uh, is where Elliot went through this series of Nintendo characters and said that uh, there's a variety of of sexual um, gender identities. And again, I guess you use the Nintendo characters because that's a commonplace for people to, you know, to for kids to be like, oh, you know Mario, you know Luigi, uh, you know Yoshi, you know whatever the characters are. And and they go on and they go on and they find that commonplace and then they they teach that, you know, this one is a whatever. I just, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm so much floored by this and I'm so glad that, you know, my kids are older. And I know I say that a lot, but it's gotta be so stressful in this day and age to, to live in this type of environment where teachers are figuring out new ways to present this this idea that is um, a, a non-factual one, right? There's a, um, uh, a podcaster, movie producer uh, from Daily Wire, a guy named Matt Walsh. And there's a few clips of him on, on Instagram and other social media where he's interviewing people that are I don't want to say drag queens. I'll say transsexual, right, uh, or transgender. And he'll ask them questions, and you know he'll say, you know, um, you know what? Well, I, I, I wish I had the audio because it's so good. Uh, but uh, it's, and I'm sure you've seen it by now. I've seen it like three times. It's really good. He goes through this thing, and, and the guy says, "Well, you know, uh, you know, but you're a man." She's like, "No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman." And he's like, "But you're not because you're a man." And she was like. I'm, I'm a woman. And he was like, oh, you are? He was like, are you a cat? <laughs> and she was like, this was a bad idea. <laughs> and obviously she's not a cat. And, and, and that was the point. And that we can't just make things up. But yet some people allege and urge that you can make these things up. Anyway, I want to get your take on this stuff because it's, uh, it's interesting uh, to me, to say the least. Uh, let's go to Janet. She's in Max Creek, Missouri on KRMS out of Springfield. Janet, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi. Hi. Yes, Hi. thank you so much. My and pleasure. I just want you to know that, you know, us late-nighters, we appreciate you being able to get the word out about all this crazy stuff that's oh, going on with our schools. Yeah, well, and thank God, I, and I'm glad that I, I get the stories from from the excellent producers that we have here and great callers like you because I get I, I don't have little kids anymore, and it amazes me that there's this much crazy going on, Janet. It is crazy, and uh, I, I heard a little bit something today, and I don't know for sure what all was going on, but something about Mid Vermont Christian School uh, have forfeited to a school called Long Trail School. Uh, because there's a transgender uh, kid. And, you know, I'm proud of Mid-Vermont Christian School for forfeiting because they put their values above their tournament, you know. And uh, I just don't know how it would have been, you know. I, Gosh, I graduated back in 1976, and wow, I mean, I never dreamed of, what's going on in yeah. our schools. Mm-hmm. I don't have children, but I have lots of nieces and nephews. And, you know, I, most of them are out of school now, but still got some great nephews and nieces that are coming up. And it just, you know, it's just scary to think, you know, when they leave to get on that school bus and then they come home, what have they been taught, you know? 
Did they mm-hmm. learn the basics of reading, writing, arithmetic? You know? Yeah. What what <laughs> exactly just, is going it's on? It's scary. Now, Janet, I'm glad you brought this up because this was um, one of the articles that um, one of the producers had sent to me. And uh, they, they put out a statement, the school, uh, Mid-Vermont Christian School, they put out a, a statement. And l- let me read you a little bit of it. It says, we withdraw from the tournament because we believe playing against an opponent with a biological male jeopardizes the female, uh, the fairness of the game and the safety of our players. Allowing biological males to participate in women's sports sets a bad precedent for the future of women's sports in general. And I have to agree with that. Right. They were standing up for the truth uh, because, you know, I have a daughter who um, is an athlete and uh, two of them, actually. And, you know, one is a competitive cheerleader and the other one is uh, uh, competes in Taekwondo. And I'll let my kid fight another girl in Taekwondo all day, every day in her weight class, maybe even up or down in either direction a little bit. But I'm not going to let her fight a dude. Right. (laughs) A boy. I'm not going to have a boy fight my girl. You know, I'll jump in there in two seconds. It it just it's your instinct. Right. Your instinct tells you that's not good. (laughs) Maybe now maybe people would argue with me and say, no, Rich, it's not your instinct. It's your it's your um, sexism. You know, you're just a sexist, I guess. I guess maybe you're right. If that's being sexist standing, you know, when the boy's about to throw a taekwondo kick at your daughter and they have different musculature and, and different strength. I don't know. It just, it doesn't seem like the right thing to me, Janet. I agree. I agree. And you know, what is going to have to happen to end this? You know, what, what are we as Christians and as a nation, what is going to have to happen? I mean, you know, I pray and get down on my knees and pray that, you know, God already knows the answer, but what are we to do? I mean, to stop this craziness. You know, I don't know that there's an answer here, right? I don't know that it's, uh, to use their word, I don't know if it's binary. I don't think there's perfect society or crazy society. I think we manage the level of crazy in our day-to-day lives within our society, and we try to mitigate it as best as we can. So, you know, I think you have a Christian school making an example here. These are people that stood on their principle and said, you know, we're going to do the right thing. We've got these female student athletes. We don't want to put them in a position where they're going to uh, potentially get hurt. I think that was smart. It was responsible. It was noble. It was the right thing to do. And I think that's the formula. The more we do that, the the less people are inclined to to push right? When you push back. And this is true of even crime in, in certain areas. If people in New York City, instead of getting robbed uh, or, or getting attacked on the basis of their of their um, heritage or their culture, like, you know, the attacks that were ha- have been going on on Asians and Hasidic Jews, uh, if, if there was a very strong pushback, if people thought for a second that they were going to go and punch out uh, somebody that's Jewish or to go and punch out someone because they're Asian or push them in front of a train. And lamentably, all of these things really happen in New York City. And and that these people were going to pull out a gun or, you know, turn around and, and, and give them the fight of their lives, they probably wouldn't do it because it would no longer be easy prey for them, right? That, that these are predators that are picking on people. So ultimately, that's my thought is that, you know, if you give somebody a reason to not mess with you, they probably won't mess with you. And and that's what we have to do in the culture as well. If people think for, that they can go ahead and, you know, win every category of sports by getting boys to participate in girls' sports, 
uh, and we're just going to go, oh, well, he identifies that way. That's okay. Then they're going to keep doing it. But if you, you draw a line in the sand, you say, absolutely not. That's BS. I'm not playing your game. They can play against other girls, but they're not going to play against boys. Um, then I think now they understand some people are immovable. Some people won't budge. Some people are going to stick to what they believe in. And that's my thought. We That's what we have to do in the culture as well, Janet. I agree with you. And the push comes to shove. You know, it's time to shove back. <laughs> that's it. You got it right. Thanks for the call in Max Creek, Missouri. I appreciate it. Big shout out to KRMS out of Springfield. And more on your calls and a couple of other headlines I want to get to. So stick with me. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So President Biden is uh, at the House Democrat Caucus and they're having their issues conference yesterday and he, he laughs apparently at the mom who lost two of her sons to fentanyl. Now, he's laughing and, and basically saying that this happened under Trump's watch, not his. So it's like not his problem. This is the woman where we played the audio of her yesterday, very heartfelt audio uh, toward the end of the program where she was, you know, um, nearly in tears discussing the, the loss of her children. And it was it was very emotional for me to listen to. I can only imagine uh, the rest of you listening. But apparently um, President Biden was just like, ah, ah, ah. anyway, listen to President Biden uh, basically um, dismiss this. She, she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is, that fentanyl they took came during the last administration. <laughs> Look, folks. Anyway, I don't want to get started. Okay. Now, look, you could try to spin this and say, look, this is the right thing to do. He was standing up for himself. That's, that's what we believe in is standing up. And I do. I believe in standing up for yourself. I just, and, and I, I'm from, look, being extremely honest here, when I'm forced to talk about things, or I t talk about things that are uncomfortable to me, I sometimes might laugh because it's like a nervous laughter. But that I'm also not the president of the United States. <laughs> and I, there it was, right? I was laughing because I'm nervous and I feel bad for Joe Biden, honestly. And this one, I feel bad for the mom and for Joe Biden because, man, was that a stupid thing to do, was to laugh at this woman and say, huh, I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing at, you know, the idiots that think that this is my fault. Oh, wait, that's the mom. Right. The mom is being critical of Biden and he's just uh, kind of turning around, pivoting and saying, no, 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 this is uh, this is Trump's problem, not mine. Now, the mom responded to that, you know, saying, you know, how dare you check this out? He starts to laugh and says that, well, it turns out that they died before I ever even became president. <laughs> really? This is how you speak about the death of my sons? Because 
a congresswoman misspoke, you, you mock the loss of my sons. How dare you? What is the matter with you? Almost every Democrat on the committee offered me condolences. They at least had the decency to do that. You can't even do that. You have to mock my pain. Let me tell you, I, I agree with her. And and even if he was just, let's say, Biden, no, I'm not mocking your pain. I'm, I'm mocking myself. I'm mocking Trump. I'm mocking. I don't think you should mock anything when you're talking about fentanyl. Uh, you, you can't mock anything when you're dealing with fentanyl because this is the death of not just children, of lots of people. So I think it's it's important that you just take that uh, seriously and and not and not uh, not do that, especially if you're president, right? That's like worse than just starting to cough in the middle of a radio program. Who does that? Anyway, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre. Now, she comes in and she says, and we're going to get to your calls, by the way, so stick with me. But she basically says that she's not going to make a comment on whether uh, Biden regrets laughing at the mom or not. And just basically says that the whole thing's being mischaracterized by uh, Representative Green and by the Fox News Channel. I don't know. I I think, you know, I, I say it all the time. I think... And I don't care who's president. If Biden wants to take that approach, he can. Trump is also, um, you know, look, I said it and that's that. But I do think you just get way more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And when you're not taking on people on a political issue, but you're going back and forth with a, a mom who has two sons that have died, I think the high road is definitely the place to, to, to go. But we're going to get to your calls momentarily. We've got calls in North Carolina. We've got calls from Brazil. Hopefully we can get through that one. Um, South Carolina, Pittsburgh, and others that are coming in. So stick with us, folks. Your calls and more straight ahead. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. It's Open Phone America, your chance to be heard on this late night town hall in America, broadcasting from typically from New York area. Now we're in D.C. today because I'm in town for CPAC, which uh, wraps up on Saturday. So we'll bring you some updates from that as well. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Welcome back. Open Phone America, your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Rockport, Missouri. Uh, KMA coming out of the Shenandoah, Iowa is where she's listening from. Ellie, what's up? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Good, e- good evening, Rich. It's, um, um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I agree with you 100% mm-hmm. and the Janet that called previously from Springfield, this is getting out of hand with the drag queens in the schools and all this sexual exploitation. I used to think that wasn't weren't there rules protecting and guarding um, innocent individuals, as in children, from sexual exploitation? Yeah, 
You would think that used to be a thing. <laughs> now it's it's the thing to to indoctrinate and, and introduce it at an early age. And, you know, and this is why I probably don't do enough of a deep dive here. And maybe I'm, I'm a bit of a, of a conspiracy theorist, I think is what they would label me today. But Dr. Alfred Kinsey, this guy, you know, he pioneered research saying that babies could experience orgasm and that that they also desired sex and that babies and children are sexual creatures. And there were others that followed him. Another guy, I'm drawing a blank on his name, um, Dr. Carlton, do you remember what I'm talking about? Anyway, this Dr. Carlton, uh, I'll come up with his name, but he was another one that ended up sleeping with 400 boys and had adopted 56 boys and ended up getting sentenced to jail and then he died. But uh, th there are a number of medical, and this guy was a pediatrician, and uh, he'd spoken at the American um, Medical Association's annual uh, conference. There are a number of, of practitioners out there, psychologists, uh, medical professionals, that subscribe to this Kinseyan thinking that where they think that intergenerational or intragenerational sex or insects, uh, incest, excuse me, is a, um, it, it's an acceptable thing. And, and um, it, it's bizarre to me, but right, you know, his, his argument uh, was that, no, this is how it was in ancient Rome. This is how it is. So my point is that we have people that are diametrically opposed here to, to, to this idea that we should protect children. They're thinking the best way to protect children is to expose them at the earliest age possible because this is the, um, this is the best thing for them, Ellie. Well, this is an outrage because innocence is being lost, it's being violated, it's being stolen. It is a disgrace. And if our nation continues to tolerate this, then you can see we're, we're not really at war with other nations. We're at war with God. Because it, not only in the Bible or scripturally, but even in the Greek, even in the ancient textbooks of the other countries, the Middle Eastern and all the countries, um, the countries of Sodom and Gomorrah, where the ancient, well, the art of, we know, sodomy, well, that's where that came from, from the township of Sodom. And there's been archaeologists to this day still trying to find the foundations of those, they were called vast civilizations in biblical terms, and that's Old Testament. But Revelation speaks of, it will be as the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's wrath has been kindled, I would think, because... When you look around and little children don't get to speak their voice like a raging lion, little children are innocent. Little children are to be protected at all costs. And mm -hmm. so in God's eyes, you know, you can probably hear the anger in my voice. Amp that by 10,000 by 10,000. And speaking, I can't speak for my, my God, my maker, my master, but I can tell you, if I'm upset, I can only guarantee he is very upset. Yeah, it's a and good that's point. that's an understatement. Yeah, Ellie, I, I agree with you. Listen, I think we uh, we, we can't uh, turn a blind eye to this. And the doctor whose name I was drawing a blank on is Dr. Carlton Gajusek. Um, that's a G-A-J-D-U-S-E-K. He was an unrepentant pedophile. And um, Daniel Carlton Gajusek. Uh, Google him, check him out, read his obituary in the Los Angeles Times. He died in 2008. This guy was a class A D-bag, really was. And and he was lauded 
by other medical professionals. This is the point I'm making. And he started doing this in the 50s and Kinsey before him. So they're, they're alive and well. And these people teach in public schools. They teach in universities. They teach at teacher colleges. They, they are creating the next generation of, of people that embrace pedophilia as something that should be celebrated instead of something that should be punished. And it's a shame. Ellie, thank you for your call and for your passion. And big shout out to everybody uh, listening on KMA. Uh, let's continue. <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Phil's been hanging on for a while. Let's go to Phil, KDKA, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Phil, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. First of all, I want to say um, this $8 radio that I got at the thrift store has been really good. I love your program. Oh, thank you. And I, I love $8 yeah, radios. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that um, I had a job where I was working with this guy and he got upset because he wanted to be known as a girl, but he didn't look anything like a girl and nobody had any way of knowing that. And it's just gotten so ridiculous with the pronouns and <laughs> how are you supposed to know what people want to be called? I mean, has everybody oh, lost Phil. their mind? Yeah, listen to this. So th there's an old video or meme on, on the social media, and I saw it again yesterday. I'd seen it a few months ago, maybe a year ago, and I, I saw it again yesterday. And what it, it's particularly funny to me because, you know, my family, were Hispanic, and it's a whole different vibe for us, this stuff. <laughs> and, and the guy has an accent, and he's like the manager of a fast food place. And the, the video is is from the person that is the aggrieved party, which is a, a transgender person. And she's complaining, right? Um, she identifies as a woman and she is complaining that that the, the guy took the credit card and called her a sir through the automated system at the drive-thru. And the managers are pleading with her, but he's got a real thick accent. <laughs> and she's saying, do I look like a man? And he's like, ma'am, ma'am, you we apologized and you know, he's like, I, I can't get into that. And she said, do I look like a man? And, and, and he says, I'm not going to get into that. And, and, and she says, excuse me, but he says, what's the name on the card? Is it a feminine name on the card? He said, we went based on the name on the card. And she says, no, it's not. And so he turns around and he turns around and says, um, he says, well, um, what do I look like to you? And he goes, you look like a man, okay? You look like a man. <laughs> With this heavy Spanish accent. And I thought it was so funny. I could see my dad saying something like that. And then she turns the camera around on herself and looks like a very heavy set man wearing a wig. And, and I was just, you know, rolling in laughter. I thought it was so funny. But it, it was so um, indicative to me of, of how people, like you're saying, people get confused. And they're just more confused than the people that are born one way and think there's something else. Uh, it's confusing for everybody involved and it becomes a big deal to people. And, and sadly, there's no win here. All right. Phil, did I lose you? Hello? Yeah, I thought I lost you. Sorry. I was hitting my oh, cough button to I was, sneeze. <laughs> I was going to say, have you noticed that like every big organization like has this kind of training, pronoun training? It's uh, It's just crazy nowadays. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And I thank you for the compliment. And I thank you for listening on KDKA. By the way, KDKA has uh, an amazing uh, PD or VP over there, Dave Labrosi. Dave Labrosi was uh, my PD when I worked in talk radio in New York City a couple of years ago. And uh, great guy. He is uh, an encyclopedic source of music. 
The guy is terrific. You hum a song and he could tell you what album it was, what year it came out. Dave Labrosi, big shout out to Dave Labrosi on KDKA. Anyway, thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. Let us continue uh, the journey across America. Let's go to Robert in Charleston, WTMA, South Carolina. Robert, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I, I just wanted to say that you were asking way back near the beginning of this, um, you know, why people would um, want to have drag shows and things like that, particularly at school and drag show and, uh, story hours at libraries and things. And, and I think the thing, the, the reason is, is because the people who put these things on and stage them um, are trying to change what's the mean or the normal so that society is open and willing to accept much more diversity than it, it does at, any, at this at right now. And, and, and the reason for that is, is because they feel that they can have a little bit more freedom to be able to um, be open about, you know, who they are and what they are and what they profess and all of those kinds of things. And, um, but as far as children are concerned, you don't have to worry about that because children don't have uh, are not sexually awakened as yet. I mean, they, well, they I think you're right that children are not sexually awakened. The problem becomes when people try to sexually awaken children. So when you have these doctors or psychologists or sickos and other pedophiles that say, "Hey, look, we're going to try and introduce the topic of sex to these poor little innocent uh, people, these uh, innocent souls that are, are are focused on My Little Pony or GI Joe or whatever and what have you." And they're perverted by the, um, the, the evil that permeates these people's lives. It becomes a, a problem, it becomes a problem for me, and it becomes a huge problem for those children. And this is why I think it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that we don't allow that type of culture, that type of thinking to ever get into the mainstream. But sadly, people hold up these guys like Daniel Carlton Gadjasek and, and Alfred Kinsey as heroes instead of as monsters. And that's what I think they should be um, held up as. Robert, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 833 valdez is the phone number. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back, amigos. We're going to continue our conversations with the topics that we have on the table. Let's see, we've got Michael in Brazil been patiently holding on. Michael, welcome. What's going on, my man? Ah, I had the rainy season here in Brazil, and uh, I had a contact magic jack, and they told me to reboot my router when we had uh, electricity went out you know when i uh, try to call yeah yeah it sounds a little light. staticky every now and again but what's on your mind brother well i uh, left uh, ohio and i have a lot of friends up in east palestine and uh, i've come across some interesting information from a young lady that i've been following mm. on BitChute. her name is uh, grace really graceful it's under 11 minutes something strange is happening in america and I wanted to share that with you in the audience. And apparently, and she's heard it, by the way, uh, there, was one, there was more than one balloon that was shot down. Yeah. And you can watch it. And these are the things that happened in February. And there were several toxic spills via trucks and trains. Now, the pro what the problem is, 
It was orchestrated, obviously. Why? Because the Ohio River uh, produce, uh, gives water, 10% of the water to the rest of the United States. And it's totally messed up right now. And that's for 30 million Americans. And guess who, guess who now is the, the largest shareholder of Ecolabs water purification? Uh, double Bill, Bill Gates. Wow. And, uh, yeah, you can watch it. Something strange is happening in America. Yeah, well, you know, it's never a dull moment here in America, Michael. Sadly, there, there's always something strange going on. And it's a shame to see how these things play out. And we'll definitely take a look at, at what's going on there and see those connections. But, but ultimately, uh, I, I just find it so um, so heartbreaking that, so many roads lead back to Bill Gates. So many roads re- lead back to George Soros. And it makes me think, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> do they not have anything better to do? They already have enough money. Uh, it's like they're, they're mad scientists, you know, or mad wannabe scientists, because neither of them is really a scientist. They, they just, uh, I guess, like to play one on TV. Thanks for the uh, update, Michael. I appreciate your thoughts on it. Uh, let's see. We have time. We will continue. I will go to Matt near Moorhead City, North Carolina, on WTKF. Matt, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go for it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, I would sir. love to talk to Dan Bishop earlier. I'm editing, this, editing, editing very shortly. But Biden's problem is he's wasting all our taxpayers' money, won't secure our borders, worried about everybody else's border. And did you know that a single stack of $100 bills would be 65 miles high of our national debt. Wow. It's unbelievable. Yes, I heard an official report. Yes, sir. I couldn't believe it myself. You know, I think those are the types of things that sometimes we need to actually do. You know, somebody needs to have an exhibit like that and maybe travel across the country and, you know, uh, into big cities all across America or go to every city they can across America that, you know, that, that's, you know, a certain population. And, uh, but do like a 50 state tour and say, hey, you know, what is that? And get all the local media attention. Like, there's a guy with a 65 mile, it's bigger than, you know, whatever. And, or do it laying down, you know, on like 14 or 15 or 75 flatbed trucks or whatever it takes. But something ridiculous and say, what is it? Oh, that's how many hundred dollar bills it takes to, to equal our national debt. And maybe people will start paying more attention because um, something the, um, the guest we had at 11 o'clock brought up, uh, he said something, you know, we're, we're an economic system built on debt. We not we may not necessarily be built on debt, but we definitely operate on debt. And we sell our debt and we securitize that debt and then and then we are able to make money on the debt. And I think this is why everybody's so amenable to carrying so much debt. Plus you have the debt ceiling that can continually be raised and nobody ever really willing to balance the budget and voila, you've got a recipe for um politicians spending money like they can print it. And in effect, that's what they're doing in so many ways. Matt, Matt, I appreciate it. I'm told I have to take a break, but I always appreciate your thoughts. Big shout out to everybody on WTKF in North Carolina. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're not done yet. I'm Rich Valdez coming back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night 
with Rich Valdez. So it's International Women's Day, and Hershey's is facing backlash over putting a trans woman on a candy bar wrapper to celebrate International Women's Day. And uh, one Twitter user slammed the new Hershey's Canada commercial featuring this trans woman as the face of International Women's Day uh, because apparently uh, of the wording that they used, right? The ad debuted on Wednesday as part of Hershey Canada's he, oh, sorry, her for she campaign in honor of International Women's Day, which is coming up. And um, the, the short spot features a trans woman, Faye Johnstone, who's noted as, wow, this is going to take a second, 2SLGBTQIA plus advocate promoting Hershey's new female-themed rapper. In the clip, Johnstone was shown posing with uh, limited edition candy bars and whatnot, saying, you know, her name is whatever. And I guess the uh, the big controversy was over her, she, or her for she. And uh, people, I don't know, they took exception to that. Anyway, um, I just wanted to give you that update because I thought that was interesting. Let's go to Betty in Dothan, Alabama on WDBT. Welcome, Betty. Uh, thank you for having me. <clears throat> this is a... Uh... This transgender problem is just uh, further, you know, um, uh, just the the ruining of children's lives Mm. by filling them with with, uh, uh, evil untruth. And I'm very much aware of what, um, uh, what, you know, uh, how this has come along uh, in the wrong direction. It started out as cultural Marxism. Yeah, I think you're right. Cultural Marxism is exactly what it is. It it popped up um, early on uh, in Hungary by a, a fellow called George Lukács. It's spelled kind of like George Lucas. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that was a, it was right after uh, they they were having a, a war with the, the Germans and. Uh, he got into the schools. He got his, his perversion into the schools. That's how they do it. They do it through the schools. They do it through the culture. They do it through the arts. And now they're trying to do it in the sciences here in America. Betty, thank you for your call. Big shout out to Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Uh, couldn't get to you. It's America at night. Take care. God bless. And we'll do it again tomorrow. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.